The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, Chicago SRW wheat futures did their best to find some green on the screen Friday as we wrapped up the week, but the rest of the market trade was relatively mixed to pushing lower as soybeans and bean oil continue to move downward amid the bearish pressure from Thursday's USDA WASDE report. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here on the program today as we take a look at what is happening in the commodity markets and other issues impacting rural America and our farmers and ranchers. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Got a great show here today as we um, examine Friday's trade action and get some recaps of how the week went in the commodity and livestock trade. We're going to sit down with Christy Van On. She's with Van On and Company. She's our guest analyst here on today's show, and she'll be joining us coming up here starting in segment two and providing her thoughts and perspective on what we are seeing in these markets Again, it just feels like the weight is to the bearish side here. Commodity deflation is remaining ever so uh, prevalent here in these markets. Uh, we're going to talk about things with Christy coming up here on the show today. Love her thoughts on the cash side. She's always got a really good handle on cash basis across the countryside and more. So we're going to dive into things and uh, hear from her coming up again, starting in segment two today as uh, really just not the best way to end the week. It wasn't bad. But it definitely wasn't great, considering we saw the bearishness from USDA once again on Thursday's February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report, really just lacking fresh news to end up the week. We saw crude oil move a little bit higher amid rising geopolitical risks heading into the weekend, but that wasn't enough to lend much support to the grain and oilseed complex on the day. Overall, just Again, a lack of real fresh news, and these markets kind of drifted outside of Chicago wheat, which did find a little bit of strength. Wheat prices rebounding from their recent losses amid buying from both end users and speculators after approaching the lower bounds of its descending channel on the charts, and that's been led by European wheat prices. And that tended to pull corn lower as well, which continues to lack a story of its own with Brazil's winter corn crop thus far going into the ground on schedule with good rains in the forecast. So there's just a, a lot of interesting things to watch in these markets. But again, the tone is seemingly bearish and lower as we continue to set some new lows here in the grains. First up, let's talk about some of what we saw on Friday's trade action. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined me for our midday commentary on the day Friday and gave us his thoughts on what he's seeing in the grains. We touch on crude oil and we get some thoughts on the livestock trade, which um, as of Friday afternoon, we're still waiting on some cash cattle activity to develop and more. So let's get those thoughts. Here is commentary from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, starting with Arlen's thoughts in Friday's grain trade. 
Yeah, I'd be careful not to read too much into it. Obviously, we're seeing weaker soybeans after yesterday's bearish report where USDA cut soybean exports by 35 million bushels and added that to the bottom line and, and didn't lower Brazil's production estimate much, just down 1 million metric tons and 156 million metric tons. Uh, one of the larger estimates that are out there now for Brazil, and I think the trade is assuming that more cuts are coming, but the fact that it only went down once says that you USDA probably has confidence it's going to be a sufficiently uh, good-sized crop. Uh, the wheat's going in a different direction, and it's going higher. Yesterday, it was the one who refused to go higher uh, for much of the session, and it was pushing lower. But as we look at Chicago in particular, where the money flow tends to be the heaviest, uh, it's been walking a, a channel downward, trendy, a downtrending channel, been walking that down, up and down within that channel. And yesterday, it had gotten close to the bottom of that channel. Uh, so as we came into today, uh, we saw that uh, the European prices started to pop back off the bottom of that channel, and so did U.S. prices then following through. So it's largely about money flow today. Not a whole lot changing materially or fundamentally, other than when we do see these dips down here, we do sometimes see China or others come in and buy. Over in the energies, uh, crude oil's been bouncing around the $77 uh, a barrel handle here to uh, round out the week, it looks like. Arlen, uh, can we find some support maybe from this crude oil market uh, to over into the uh, grains and oil seeds by chance? What do you think? Uh, that does tend to provide some support. Now, the two don't always go in the same direction, um, but you look at the reasons behind it, and I think part of the re what's behind the crude oil market today is geopolitical risks rising again in the Middle East. And we saw Israel reject a ceasefire offer from Hamas this week as well. So we're going into the weekend. Uh, uh, crude oil traders wondering what might happen over the weekend while the markets are closed to add some risk to it. So adding quite a bit of risk premium yesterday and then follow through today. But that's taking us back up to recent highs. Um, that doesn't really affect the grain and oil seeds a whole lot. So there's it doesn't have the same follow-through rationale. We did see Ukraine strike at a couple of oil refineries in southern Russia, and that does increase some risk for the Black Sea for the weekend and perhaps another reason for wheat going higher, but it doesn't translate much into corn and soybeans, even though those are feedstocks for biofuels. And over in the livestock trade, it's uh, been a bit of a mixed bag in cattle and hog futures here as we look to the end of the week. I know we're expecting more cash cattle activity to develop here on Friday. Uh, your thoughts with how this protein sector is uh, finishing out the week, Arlen? Yeah, really trading uh, follow through from yesterday, although not with as much energy as we saw yesterday and we saw uh, 16 deliveries against the the uh, February contract in the Southern Plains, and, and those are all demanded by the longs in that case, which is very unusual on the first day and suggests stronger demand than what was anticipated. That fueled yesterday's strength. That was cooled a little bit by the WASD report. Yes, the crop report does have information on the protein sector as well. Where USDA upped production by 75 million bushels, and particularly imports up 355 million bushels. However, some of that's being countered by lower carcass weight data that also came out yesterday, down another eight pounds uh, versus the previous week. 
uh, six pounds for steers, eight pounds for heifers. Now we're down 25 and 26 pounds respectively over the last three weeks because of that January cold weather event. And that's taking some of that supply back off of the market. And once again, that is thoughts from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our midday commentary on the day on Friday, gave us uh, his perspective of what we've been seeing uh, in this grain and oilseed trade as we wrapped up the week. So uh, watching things uh, closely here, obviously geopolitical concerns going to have an impact in these markets, but Again, commodity deflation really seems to be this main theme and this main driver, and the trend is the friend of funds and and managed money that continues to just pour on to uh, their positions here in this market, moving to the downside, really uh, continuing to build record short positions. Uh, It'd be interesting to watch uh, the new CFTC data that is out Friday afternoon as well and how that plays a role into the markets, but overall, Just not a a great day on Friday to round out the week. We're going to talk more about the markets and get thoughts from Christy Van On Shesith with Van On and Company. She's based in central Minnesota, and she is uh, going to be joining us here once again on Market Talk to provide some thoughts of this market trade action. We will get to Christy coming up here after this, back with more on Market Talk right after the break. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. Well, as we wrapped up the week of trade on Friday, I guess it kind of ended okay. Maybe a dud, but kind of quiet as we finish things off after uh, more bearish news we got from USDA earlier in the week on Thursday. Just uh, Not much to take home to the weekend, but we're going to try and dissect how this trade has uh, traded here this past week. Joining us for market analysis, Christy Vanon. She sits with Vanon and Company. Christy, great to have you back on the show here today. Hope you're doing well. Thank you. Yeah, same to you. Well, as I was kind of trying to set us up there... not a lot in the way of friendly news, I would say, to the uh, the grain markets here this past week. Uh, I guess all in all, considering uh, the neutral to bearishness of the USDA numbers we got on Thursday, we we ended Friday okay. It could have been worse, I guess. It was maybe a better way to frame it up. What do you think? Yeah, you know, we're going to take this. We're going to spin it in a positive light, and we're going to make this, you know, a, a little bit of a friendlier conversation. And so you're right. Like it's not great. These markets are are really struggling here, but they could be a lot worse, like you said. So you look at the last about month and a half, and you've pretty much thrown everything bearish you can at these markets right now. You have growing carryouts domestically. The world carryouts just aren't doing their job of shrinking enough. Conditions, although have been dicey in South America, they've been improving. 
and you're coming in here with just some lackluster crush demand, or I should say crush margins and ethanol margins. So you're really throwing all this bearish information at the market and it's doing a good job digesting it. And so if we want to take this market and look at it and say, hey, what could we see um, on the friendly things? I think there's actually quite a bit to be optimistic when you look at these prices. For one, it feels like everyone is leaning bearish. When everyone leans one direction, you really need to be cautious about the boat tipping. And so you're looking at these people that are, you know, the end is over, I'm going to puke my grain, I can't do this anymore, is this ever going to end? When you start to really have that rhetoric around the market, that's when you start to kind of say, hey, we might be getting close. And we really focus on four things here when we look at these markets. And to be honest, three of the four are looking like they could be really friendly, especially the technical side of things. We know that a technical formation can take over a market and bring buyers or sellers in and completely ignore any sort of fundamental news. When everything shakes out, I'm a fundamentalist at heart. I do think supply and demand will be the, the winner when everything's said and done. There's a lot of times that just kind of sits on the sideline and you let some other things take over. And right now the charts, you're entering some key areas on these charts um, of finding uh, downside, hold on, like downside um, support at some key levels, like two standard deviations away from trend line. That's where you're at on soybeans right now. Uh, you're at one standard deviation, 1.2 for corn. So these levels are great levels to see some support show up on the chart. And, you know, like you said, it could be a lot worse. Yes, we're making new lows in corn. Yes, we're falling off. But we really are leaving some tails on the bottom where we find those buyers come in by the end of the day. Talk to me chart wise on corn first. I've heard some people throw around a, a 425 target to me here on March corn. We've obviously been setting new lows here this past week. Is is 425 a good target for you, do you think, on front month corn right now, Christy? Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking at. 424, but 424, 425, of course, a piece, right? And so mm -hmm. that's the level that to be honest, if we if we do get there, which it's not far away, right, where we settled today. So if we do get there, that's probably a, a level that as a company, we're going to start saying, hey, let's get some courage calls to sell into. Let's look at some reownership. Let's lift and roll down some puts. Also for consideration, for those of you that have those short-term puts on, if we get to 424, take opportunity to roll out and get yourself some time with this carry in the market that's there as well. So you can look at those strategies, but that is the level we're really looking at, to be honest. Um, out of all the charts, uh, when I look at them, um, the front month corn is probably the one that's not the greatest to me, not that it looks bad, but if you look at like a deferred contract, like a DS24 chart, that's a really good looking chart to me. And I think we're doing, trying to do a good job of finding some sort of supporter on this 468 to 470 level. We did eventually make new contract lows on uh, this week. It kind of stalled out for a while, but you know, we're right at that big support line that I do think is hopefully going to give that support to the market. And really when you look at corn, I mean, how much more bearish information can you get? You've really thrown an absolute ton at it right now. You, you've thrown a, a lot at this corn market. USDA, I know, cut some uh, use for feed and food and industrial use on the WASD for February. You mentioned, you know, DS24, kind of that 468 level, uh, DS25, even 480. I mean, I don't know how far out you're getting on this corn side here, Christy, and getting aggressive, but you look at some of those uh, target levels, they, to your point, they seem pretty good at some of those levels here still. 
Yeah, I think if there's one thing I could beat us up about is the fact that we didn't make an actual recommendation, but we pounded people with letting them know, hey, D25 is still $5. Um, if you're one of those people that doesn't mind marketing a couple of years in advance, we'd like to see some marketing done there. And we did have guys do it. We just didn't officially add it to our page. And you know what, that's sometimes the name of the game, but um, you know, we're doing a good job holding this 480, like you said, the carry is still into this market and it's really nice to see. And we have to remember that if we're gonna have these big crops, um, look at what the carry did from Dees to July this year, over 40 cent carry. Let's say it doesn't get there, but you know, if you're looking at even right now at 480 for Dees 25 corn, and you get a 30 cent uh, carry, which I think is totally doable out to July, that's 520 and a lot of people are $5 cash at that point. And so, you know, it's those little things. Um, one thing I had mentioned, you know, this is a busy stretch for meetings. And, and what I said is that we really have to go back a few years and start to use a lot of those tools out of our toolbox that we haven't had to use for a while. Things have been easy the last three years um, that you've been able to make these decisions and maybe they weren't the top. Maybe they were 60 cents, 80 cents off the top, but they were still good sales. They were very profitable. They were keeping you alive. And now we're coming back into this situation where we need to use those tools out of the toolbox a little bit more frequently uh, to make sure we're kind of preserving that bottom end of the line. And, and that's one of the things you can look at at DS25 and say, hey, if I'm going to panic sell, let's capture the carry and panic sell out there. Let's talk soybeans a little bit here. And you can give me the, a good chart fundamental perspective, but I, I want to set it up like this to you. I, I feel like that the trade action to end up the week is kind of getting this feeling that this Brazil soy crop is going to be somewhere between Conab and USDA. USDA only cut a million metric tons in their February report, whereas Conab gave us a sub 150 number. And I, I just, I feel like that the sentiment of the trade is that, okay, we're going to be somewhere between the two. Uh, so your thoughts on that perspective here at soybeans and what the charts are telling you right now, Christy. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying is that the market has gotten comfortable in there. And, and USDA, not only did they not cut it very much, but they made some bold stances here on exports. So they cut exports 35 million bushel out of this report. And to be honest, we're running ahead of pace, our five-year pace for booking export sales. Um, we're right on pace for shipping our soybeans. And to be honest, our export number that we have right now is now below one of our trade war years. So you're looking at it and you're saying, hey, I don't know if you really should have got that aggressive, especially when there hasn't actually been too many signals. We're, we're really ahead of pace when it comes, or I should say we are ahead of pace when you come to the export sales. So I feel like they have just really, USDA in general has put all of it in on saying, we don't think Brazil is going to be that much lower. We think that Brazil is going to control the export market. And we really feel like we're not going to have a part of it. And so just like corn, you're throwing a lot at this bean market right now. Um, over 300 million bushel carryout. That's a big carryout for us domestically. Um, and so, you know, we had the 800s, the 500s, the 800s, 900s during trade war. But, you know, normally we really don't want to see ourselves in these 300s. And so the market is trying to digest that. I thought yesterday was a really great close for the soybean market. I said, this is it. You know, I'm feeling pretty good about it. But it seems like today, Friday, people had different thoughts. And we're just chopping here. And we're not really getting anywhere. We need to get through that $12 with some force. And it seems like we can't just do that right now. 
Well, Christy, we are getting close to the end of this segment, so hold that thought. I want to talk to you about uh, Dove 24 beans. I want to get into the wheat trade and livestock as well with you. So uh, we'll have you stick around. We'll have you join us in segment three. Again, we're talking today with Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company for our market analysis as we wrap up the week of trade on Friday. Let's get a few of the closes from Friday's session uh, real quick as well. March corn down four to quarter, 429. December corn closed four lower, 468 and a quarter. Soybeans, March beans down 10. And 11.83 and a half on the day Friday. New crop November soybeans uh, finished lower as well, down nine, 11.63 and three quarters. Soybean meal March down 30 cents a ton, 3.46.80. March bead oil down 68 points, 47.26. Chicago wheat March eight and a quarter higher, 5.96 and three quarters. July was up three and three quarters at 6.01. March Kansas City wheat up half a penny, 6.01 and a half. Spring wheat March up a half a penny, 6.84 and a quarter. Live cattle February up 85, 184.62. April up 15, 186.72. March feeder cattle up 30, 247.15. April down 15, 251.77. February hogs up 37, 73.67. And April lean hogs were 80 higher at 81.15 on the day Friday. All right, we'll be back with more market analysis and we'll continue our conversation with Christy Van Ott. She sits from Van Ott and Company on the way next here on Market Talk. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here and our guest analyst today on the show, Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company. Christy, before the break, we were talking soybeans. I want to stick with you on that here just for a second. Uh, Nov 24 beans or looking any farther out, any other contracts there. Uh, what are you seeing on the charts there? Anything of note uh, for new crop beans right now, Christy? Yeah, so soybeans have the best looking charts, I think, um, when you look at it. And so you have these conversations of saying, yes, there's a lot of bearish information out there fundamentally for soybeans. But I think technically, looking at a chart, soybeans are the most attractive one to look at right now. So we have this conversation in the office, and I wouldn't be surprised if company-wide we start to look at some courage calls for both new crop corn and new crop soybeans to sell into with the hopes to sell in. Who knows if you're going to get there, right? That's the point of a courage call. But you're starting to have this talk really, really ramp up on the fact of going from a super El Nino to a strong La Nina. And these extended forecasts are starting to pound in this hot and dry forecast for the end of the summer, starting with a wet forecast. We know what drought tolerance can do for hot and dry. The last few years, it showed you that these crops can can really tolerate um, to some degree drought, right? That's their biggest thing for their stacks. My concern would be if you start off with a wet 
spring and have shallow root systems for corn, I'm afraid of that. So if we start wet, finish hot and dry, that's, that's not going to be good for this crop. And so I think you're starting to have these people look at this forecast and I'm just afraid we'll get to a point where we want to do marketing and people are going to see these hot and dry forecasts and not want to participate in those um, good marketing decisions that they should be looking at. And so that's where we started this conversation of really ramping up and saying, Sometime in the near future, um, probably by the end of next week, we want to be looking at some courage calls, possibly waiting to get through the Outlook Forum from USDA. That number out of the Outlook Forum should be one of the most bearish numbers we get for a while, right? Like, I'm not saying that you can't get that out of the March planting, but the Outlook Forum is going to have trend line. They're going to show some big yields. And I'm always nervous what their acreage could look like. They're also going to give us a good hint on what they really want to see done for renewable diesel moving forward. So the crush demand as far as that goes. So I think if we could get past that, which is midweek, um, next week, we'll probably be looking at some of those. Hopefully, if we're holding, we need to hold those levels, I should say, on the chart, which is kind of right where we're at for these markets. Talk to me about the wheat markets, Christy. Uh, in terms of, you know, you bring up carry in the markets. I feel like if I'm looking at things, right, we've lost some carry in, say, spring wheat here in the last few days. Uh, I know that it feels like all three classes have kind of been following world values and European prices here uh, quite a bit as of late. I mean, your thoughts on what's going on across the wheat complex uh, as a whole right now? Yeah, we, we have lost a lot of that carry in the market. Not only have we lost the carry in the market for um, spring wheat, you're starting to see some really decent basis improvements for that front. So you're not only having your front month um, kind of stabilize itself against the rest of the markets, you're also having that basis level to kind of be that attractive point of saying, hey, let's sell some wheat here. This is not a good price, but if you have a really great opportunity basis-wise for wheat and the market's flat, it makes it easier to own out a little bit further. So I think that's the biggest thing to look at wheat right now is in those flat markets, it gives you the opportunity to have your foot in the door a little bit longer, where, you know, when you're looking at the corn market, to get those calls out to July, you are buying into a pretty substantial carry. So it's a little bit of a different situation. So I think that's the signal on the wall right now for wheat. I think wheat also needs to be holding this $6 level for Chicago wheat, $7 for Minneapolis wheat, and it's not doing the best job of that right now. So we need to see that kind of come together. One stark difference for me between corn and beans with wheat is that managed money is almost near record short holdings for corn and beans, where they've lifted some of their short holdings for wheat. And we don't have a ton to show from it, which is really disappointing to see. Um, so I, I'm a little bit disappointed when it comes to wheat. But to be honest, it's kind of been the name of the game here for a, a while when it comes to wheat. But you do have those opportunities. So I, I think that's the biggest thing I want to harp on right now is um, the emotional sentiment to marketing can sometimes get a little bit tricky and it can really weigh on an individual. But if you look, there are always opportunities out there some way, somehow, and we don't like the wheat price, but there's an opportunity right now between basis and a flat market to get yourself out there a little bit longer for ownership. You mentioned the cash market's basis there in wheat. I don't want to backtrack too much, but uh, some thoughts from you on the cash side for quarter beans right now. I mean, what are you seeing regionally? You're in central Minnesota. I mean, what are you seeing across parts of the Northern Plains right now? Is is basis still holding up or, or what are we looking at? Yeah, so when you look at corn, the basis is improving. I think the lack of selling, um, there has definitely been conversations, I think, that we've heard 
from buyers saying that they really want to take advantage of this cheap corn and that they want to get aggressive between now and May and then they might not be bidding much. And so I think this push in basis, I'm concerned that if we get this push in basis that we've seen, and let's say next week corn rallies 20 cents, I really do feel like you could see basis widen 10 to 15 cents of that 20 cent rally that your net price isn't getting any different. So it's so important to be focusing um, not just on cash price, but futures and uh, basis separately, right? They come together, obviously, but to treat them as separate entities altogether, because there are some opportunities out there right now for the corn market when it comes to basis. And I'm just concerned about them. Uh, when it looks at soybean, soybean basis has not been favorable here lately. We've seen it slip over the last month or so. Crush margins have deteriorated to a degree. And then it just seems like our, you know, what USA is hinting at, our demand off the PNW is so important for us. It's not there right now. And so the elevators have really widened out that bid lack of desire to get on a train there's just they can't get those that demand out there right now which is problem um so really when you look at beans double whammy there not only are you losing price incentive for futures market you're also widening a basis where the corn cash price has not really for some areas changed all that much because the basis has been improving let's talk livestock a little bit uh, cattle trade i feel like there's been some more optimism for our, uh, our rancher friends out there on the cattle side here as of late your thoughts overall, what you're seeing between fats and feeders right now, Christy? Yeah, so grain, you know, grain market guys, they're they're in the dumps right now. You know, have those conversations with those meat guys. It was brutal this fall to see what this market did. And a lot of that was managed money driven. Um, managed money was aggressive sellers this fall of meats. And so I think, you know, you saw that and then you had a uh, unfriendly cattle on feed and it just catapulted this market. And now we've made great comebacks. So, you know, even deferred contracts like August feeder cattle, two standard deviations away from trend line to the top side. Uh, it's hard to get a lot of activity above or below those levels when you look at it away from trend line. And so you're looking at these markets and um, both live cattle and feeder cattle really are showing breakout uh, characteristics on the chart, but we broke out and then we've really consolidated here and really haven't had anything to show for it. So we're not falling off, but we've reached a point where the market's like, give me some more information, feed the bull to get this market going. And, you know, it sounds like cash trade was pretty light this week. So maybe next week we can see something. It does sound like there's some rumors of like a, some high basis levels out to summer contracts that there's some mm -hmm. holds out there. So I think the rhetoric is back to that friendly atmosphere on, on the cattle charts. But if you don't have any marketing done for cattle, you need to look at a chart and see how far it's came. Also, you know, LRP products, right? Talk to your crop insurance guys. Those are subsidized puts essentially, and those can give you some. And not only that, if you're in a, a cash flow crunch right now, you're paying those on um, when you deliver your cattle. And so to really, it's on that upfront cost as if you were buying that in an option account um, with a broker. Yeah. And so I think those are really unique tools that you could be looking at right now and just putting that, you know, like a base floor underneath it, especially for those deferred contracts, just because they've rallied back so hard. Great thoughts, though. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, and real quick, too, on the hog side, I feel like just in general with this hog market, it's found some footing. We had a really good weekly export sales number. China was the top buyer, maybe confirming that China is stepping back in to buy some U.S. pork here. So I, I feel like for the most part, this hog market is is kind of finding its finding its way, so to speak, Christy. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's it's kind of saying, hey, if cattle are going to go, don't leave me back here, right? Like I'm a cheaper <laughs> alternative. Let me run. 
And I think that's what you're seeing to a degree. And you're also for the fact that, like you said, China stepped back in. So let's talk about two to four weeks ago when China said our hog weights are way too high. We need to cut back on soy meal ration and our food consumption. Um, we need to really just make sure that we're not flooding this market with too much pork because price is deteriorating. And then all of a sudden they're back in our market. And so that kind of shows you, you know, how much demand um, do they really want? And I think sometimes they can manipulate the market and you see that. And I think this is a classic example of it is that you had reached a point where you're like, oh man, we're not gonna have China around because they have too much and then all of a sudden they show up. So I think that's a positive. I think that's what people have been waiting for for hogs is to, to see China finally step back in. And hopefully we can get confirmation on week two to see them really back into the game for good. Christy, final thoughts, final word from you here as we wrapped up the week of the trade week in the trade here. What do you want folks to remember? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you're looking at marketing, right, it's a roller coaster and just try not to get too far swayed one direction, too bullish, too bearish. Because when everyone leans, it makes some really difficult decisions. And I think when you look at it, there is opportunity out there. So if you're saying, hey, I don't like this price, especially for the corn market, take the good basis, cash it out, have the cash in hand, interest rates are high, and come in here and look for a deferred call that they are very cheap. And that's, once again, that may sound like a broker, but I just think you know people get so wrapped up in the emotions of marketing it's very difficult sometimes just to know that this is a long year we got a lot ahead of us and when everyone leans one direction you know just don't tip that boat christy if folks want to reach out to you with questions there at van on and company i know they can reach you very easily how can they get a hold of you yeah you can call us at 1-800-648-5494 with that christy van on she says with van on and company thanks for joining us on market talk christy have a great one we'll talk to you again soon you too. Thank you. Once again, Christy Van On, she sits with Van On and company joining us here today on Market Talk, giving us a great analysis. You can also find them online very easily. Just go to vanonco.com, V-A-N-H-A-N-C-O.com, and you can find more information about Van On and company. As again, we saw fairly quiet mixed action to wrap up the week on Friday. All right, coming up next, we are going to wrap up Market Talk for today. We'll take a look at news headlines on the way right after the break. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Good stuff from Christy Van On. She's with Van On and Company. Always great to have a conversation with her and appreciate her time and market expertise here on today's show. Let's take a look at some news headlines. Well, nitrogen plant sale in Weaver, Iowa sparked some backlash because of consolidation concerns in the fertilizer industry. OCI Global announced a $3.6 billion sale to Coke Ag and Energy Solutions here just a few weeks ago. Josh Linville, vice president of fertilizer with Stonex, says there has been definite pushback against the deal. 
there's been a lot of organizations that have stepped up in opposition to the sale. One of the big problems with North America nitrogen is that it is a bit of an old gobbling. Look at it. The three major manufacturers control a very large portion of overall production in the U.S. And the market is trying to push back and say this sale represents a loss of yet another competitor in the space. We are becoming a three-party system, and that's worrisome, right? Because the less competitors you have, the less chance you have that values come under pressure because if one doesn't do it, the other two probably don't either. And despite the pushback, Linville still expects the sale to get approved. I'm still in the camp. I think there's a 75% chance it flows through with no problem. The sale is done later on this year. But that leaves a 25% chance that there may be some people looking at it and say, no, this isn't okay. There is too much consolidation and we need to stop this. There needs to be healthy competition in space. And once again, that's Josh Linville with Stone Axe. Well, there may be a small window left to get a farm bill done here this year, but according to the American Farm Bill Federation, Time is running out. It's a challenge for sure, um, w- without a doubt. Ryan Yates, AFBF Managing Director of Government Affairs, talks about finding a legislative window for the Farm Bill as the extension is expiring October 1st. This spring would be ideal. I mean, we've got, unfortunately, we've got appropriations uh, that need to be negotiated in the coming month. So if those run smoothly, I think that could open up pathway. But the House had said its failure to pass border security and foreign military aid bills amid GOP infighting over the party's election year strategy underscores how dysfunctional Congress is right now. And the clock is ticking. The longer you go past this spring, the more difficult it is, you know, in an election year in particular. So uh, I think there's a very small window that folks are, are looking at for this spring. And we're trying to be as vocal as possible to ensure that Congress knows what needs to get done. In the meantime, Yates says ag lawmakers on both sides of Capitol Hill have drawn lines in the sand of what compromises they're willing to make to get a farm bill. Lines that have changed little from last year. Well, earlier this week, a federal district court in Arizona vacated the registration for over-the-top applications of dicamba on dicamba-tolerant soybeans and cotton. While the court decision came from Arizona, the decision is national in scope. The Ag Retailers Association disagrees with the decision. Darren Kopik is the ARA president and CEO. The issue for us is we've got a federal court now making decisions about what products we can use rather than a scientific regulatory agency making those decisions. And and the decision also comes at a really poor time for the whole industry. And speaking to that poor timing, Kopik points out that many farmers have already made their decisions about what varieties of cotton and soybean seeds they want to plant this year. And retailers are already stocking not only the seeds, but also the herbicides the growers need for their systems. So retailers are now stocking and probably even delivering some of these uh, products out to the growers. And then here, the district court, you know, basically, the, the wheels are in motion and they break the axle for us. And so we're, we're kind of stuck. And so the, the request that we're making of EPA, EPA still needs to make a, a, an announcement of a cancellation order. And they have some ability to, to do some, some policies on existing stocks of product, uh, emergency labels, some other kinds of things that they have at their disposal. And so that's what our request to them this morning was, is make sure that whatever the the final decision allows product that was already in the channel to be used according to the current label. And there is a lot of precedent for EPA allowing that. Once again, that's ARA President and CEO Darren Kopik. That U.S. District Court ruling in Arizona affects products including Bayer's Max, BASF's Ingenia, and Syngenta's Tavium. A sharp decline in the number of dairy heifers available to replace older cows exiting the U.S. dairy herd could limit meaningful growth in milk production. The number of dairy replacement heifers has fallen almost 15% in the last six years to reach a 20-year low. 
While the global demand outlook for U.S. dairy products is murky due to export market uncertainties, any potential growth opportunities may get stymied by an inability to expand U.S. milk production. A new report from CoBank's Knowledge Exchange says the rising cost of rearing dairy heifer calves has far outpaced increases in heifer values over the last several years. That imbalance has prompted dairy farmers to reduce their replacement heifer inventories, doing so in large part by breeding more dairy heifers and cows to beef bulls. Corey Geiger from CoBank says farmers can cut costs associated with heifers and generate additional income from beef. Again, that new report from CoBank's Knowledge Exchange. Well, the Energy Information Administration predicts renewable diesel production to increase by 30% annually in both 2024 and 2025. In its latest short-term energy outlook, the EIA says renewable diesel production will average approximately 230,000 barrels per day in 2024 and expand to 290,000 barrels per day in 2025. In comparison, production averaged approximately 200,000 barrels per day at the end of 2023. Renewable diesel production capacity has expanded significantly in recent years. EIA data shows capacity was at 1.75 billion gallons a year in January of 2022 and it reached 3.85 billion gallons a year by November of 2023. The EIA also announced it is reducing U.S. crude oil capacity forecast by 120,000 barrels per day beginning in March. That prediction comes after Phillips 66 plans to permanently stop processing crude oil at its rodeo refinery in California next month. The company is planning to convert the facility to produce renewable diesel. To ensure the National Institute for Animal Agriculture continues to meet its mission, the board of directors adopted a new strategic plan earlier this year. The board adopted the NIAA 2024 through 2026 strategic plan during their January meeting. Dr. Eric Moore, NIAA chair, says, quote, fellow board members and I are looking forward to implementing these new strategic pillars and building on achievements for the past four years, end quote. A strategic plan focuses on four pillars. The first is convening. NIAA is the top forum for convening diverse thought leaders in animal ag. Number two is leadership development, which empowers leaders to positively affect the future of animal agriculture. Three is communications and marketing, which disseminates resources to the industry. And the fourth is fostering innovation in animal agriculture, which includes facilitating awareness of innovation technologies and practices that are economically viable and scientifically sound to improve the profitability and sustainability of animal agriculture. And with that, we are out of time. We're up against the clock. That's a look at news headlines here on Market Talk today. Thanks, as always, again for joining us as we run through what's happening in the markets and what is happening with your money and impacting your operation. Always appreciate you making us part of your day. Coming up on our next program, we'll talk markets with John Heimberg from Total Farm Marketing, and we'll get weather with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk.